0: Loud now? Excellent. All right. Good morning. I got my clicker up here too. So we're going to be in Luke today, uh, and we're going to get to Luke in a minute, but first we're going to talk about food, which is a dangerous thing to do before people go to lunch on Sunday. I'm aware of that. I'm hungry myself. I forgot to eat breakfast this morning. Uh, But I have a few photos here, and so I, I uh, learned about this restaurant because I was on YouTube and I watch a lot of cooking videos on YouTube. I love to cook. I love to eat. I love to try different foods, sample different kind of cuisines, different areas. And I stumbled across this restaurant. It's called Jeju. It's in California. And Jeju is the only noodle bar, I believe, in the United States to have a Michelin star. And if you don't know what a Michelin star is, basically – Think about if you're an athlete, you want to win the national championship, you want to achieve the highest level possible. For a restaurant, a Michelin star is that championship, okay? That means you can probably charge a little more, uh, make a little bit more money. People want to come to your restaurant. And so I was looking online, and I looked at a day in the life of a Michelin star chef. I encourage you to do the same when you get home. Uh, It's about a 20-minute long documentary, and it talks about this uh, kitchen, Jeju Noodle Bar. And over here we have Doug on your right, and we have Jane on your left. And Doug is the chef owner, and Jane is the main chef, the chef de cuisine for the restaurant. And these two people are rock stars, okay? Jeju Noodle Bar. No one has a Michelin star for a noodle bar. And yes, noodle bar, I'm talking about ramen. I'm talking about these very uh, traditional dishes. In Asian cuisine, they have a Michelin star, which is pretty awesome. And I'm just going to show you a few of their dishes. This is their ramen, okay? You're hungry right now, and I'm showing you some carbs, okay? Uh, Noodles. They look so good. You should watch the video. They look so amazing, and uh, these noodles are not where they stop. They have these beautiful dishes, absolutely beautiful. This is art. This is not just something that you enjoy with your mouth, your tongue, taste and see that the Lord, right? You can taste and see this is going to be some yummy food. Uh, we have a few of the other dishes here. We have, uh, I think that's some lamb right there, along with some just beautiful salads, beautiful, everything looks so good. Um, but this is the one that I wanted to kind of stop on. If you like sushi at all, I, I know that's, you know, hit or miss for some people. Uh, but at the beginning, I showed you a picture of Jane, and if you watch the documentary, Jane is like a hawk in the kitchen. And I would not want to be on the other end of her gaze, because she is like staring at people as they go through their, their, uh, their cook. And this is the one dish that she actually does by hand, and it's so cool to watch her do it, because you have all these cuts of fish, and, and if you look at their menu online, it has the dreaded MP next to the uh, price, you know market price. You have no idea what you're going to pay for this bowl. It's going to be expensive, okay? But it's beautiful. And so we have all these plates. And I think that's a lot. Uh, oh, one more. And uh, we have all these beautiful plates here. And I just want you to look at these and. Think about the time that goes into making something like this. You know, if you're an artist, it takes a long time to paint a picture. But this is not just art like I'm talking about. This is some beautiful food. If you know anything about cooking soups, a really good soup, you have to have a really good broth. And broths take a lot of time. If you watch the documentary, she starts out her day, uh, Jane does, every single day at the restaurant at 11 o'clock. She's the first one in the kitchen. She's by herself. She loves to be in that zone. And the very first thing she does is she starts those stocks. And if you know anything about stocks, like I said they take a long time. All of their stocks for all of their noodles take about 10 hours a piece. And they have these huge stock pots that I could probably like curl up and sit in. Right? They have a guy like with like a like oar for a canoe stirring these stocks. It is so cool to see everybody at work for one dish. I forget the name of it, it has a really complex name that I can't pronounce. It takes two hours for one dish. And it's not just one person prepping it, it's multiple cooks, multiple chefs, using both of their hands to commit to this one dish. And you might be looking at this and yeah, I don't want to eat that. You might be okay with the burger, I am too, okay? But you gotta recognize just how much preparing this takes, how much skill this takes. So going back to the noodles, This is such a, if you watch the documentary, there's very little communication between the chefs because they are on the same page the entire time. Doug and Jane are my favorite two to watch because sometimes they'll be in the groove and they have one bowl and one of them has it in their hand and, and they're both working on it together in complete unison, in sync, not having to communicate with their words. Just their body language is doing all the communicating. They are preparing, they are cutting, they are chopping, they are starting these stocks every single day so that they can have these things reach your plate so that you can eat them and enjoy them. And like I said, they start their day at 11 o'clock. Service doesn't start till 5.30, and service doesn't end till way after 10. And if you watch the documentary, that's not where her day ends, right? They gotta clean up. They do extra stuff after they're done cleaning up. Honestly, it's the life of a Psychopath. Right? if you work at a Michelin star restaurant, because it's not like it's like, oh, we did this one, one time during the week. This is every single day. But they are preparing the way to have beautiful things on their plate. They're preparing the way for you to enjoy as much as possible the food that they bring before you. So I'll stop showing you food now. But, oh, sorry, Ray, I'll go back to... Uh, Sorry, I took control, and now I'm messing up right, I'm sure. Okay. Um, I was thinking this week, and I I think a lot about food, but um, what to preach about. And as I was watching this documentary, and as I was seeing all these chefs' hands coming through, it started me thinking about Elizabeth. Okay, Elizabeth is one of the most unsung heroes from the gospel. She is a rock star. Okay, And Luke actually highlights quite a bit of female rock stars that I highly encourage you to go take a look at, because he is constantly saying, these women are awesome, and Jesus thinks these women are awesome. And Elizabeth starts out the book of Luke being one of those awesome women. And and we're talking about food, and we're talking about preparing, and we're talking about the actual hands-on preparing of a meal. But what I, what I like about um, the chefs and what I like about Elizabeth is that it's much more than just a hands-on experience, but it's a mindset of being prepared. It's a continual mindset of being in the zone, preparing for something that's going to take place much later, but nonetheless, a mindset bent towards being prepared for preparing the way. And I am drawn to this. I'm drawn to these chefs who spend their lives preparing, and I'm drawn to Elizabeth because I think that she is just the picture, you know, like poster child of what it means to be prepared for the Lord, to be preparing the way for the Lord. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and be open up to Luke chapter one, because we're just going to look at Elizabeth and we're going to celebrate her this morning. Because we talk about John the Baptist, and we talk about this guy who comes out of the woods, he's all hairy, he's eating bugs, and he's saying all these crazy things, and he, we talk about him preparing the way for Jesus, but who prepared the way for the guy preparing the way? Mom. Elizabeth, the rock star, the unsung hero of the Gospels. So what do we know about Elizabeth? If we look in chapter 1, uh, verse 5, we get introduced to Zechariah and Elizabeth. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who, 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 who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth also was a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. We have this woman who is a descendant of Aaron, the brother of Moses. That's a really important thing, Okay. She's not just some random woman. She comes from a line of priests. And her, her husband, Zechariah, is also a priest. This family is righteous. We have this couple who seems to be living what it means to be a couple, a, a, a husband and wife relationship, blamelessly before God. They are righteous before God, continuing on in verse 7. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they both were very old. And now I want to be careful because, you know, it's different in our, in our time period, how we view this. Obviously, we recognize that there are some things that, that just are not possible uh, for some people. And that's okay. That's just, that's just how life goes sometimes. That's, that's just something that we as people have to get through. But for the people at this time, it, it had a societal impact on them especially for a priest, because as a priest, as someone who's going to prepare, you know, sacrifices for God, these people place a very high value on continuing the lineage of the people of God, of bearing children. And I'm sure people are kind of looking sideways at Elizabeth and Zechariah saying, okay, is there something up with these people? Now, I want to say that we're, we're, we rate here that they're righteous before God. These are good people, okay? But you've got to think about society as well. Are they side-eyeing Elizabeth And Zechariah said, okay, what's going on behind the scenes? Like, what do we not know about these people? But what is so cool about Zechariah and Elizabeth is something that we read about in verse 13. This is when Zechariah is offering a sacrifice to God, and he is met by an angel. Verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will call him John. Not only are they in old age, not only do they seem like they're past the age where that is even a possibility, these people are still praying to God for this unreal situation to become reality for them. Against all odds, they are continually praying, God, grant us a child so that we can continue your lineage of people devoted to you. Their prayers never stopped. They never stopped praying. And that's a little bit of the, of the precursor. We know that, you know, Zachariah is visited, and then he has a situation where, for some reason, Zachariah can't speak for the entire duration of Elizabeth's pregnancy, which is probably reason number one Elizabeth is awesome. Okay? Because her husband couldn't talk to her the whole time. Okay? Think about that for a second. I don't know what, it seems like they're a decent relationship. I know that if I couldn't talk to my wife for nine and a half, or or like 10 months, essentially, right? Nine months and some, that would be bad. I would go crazy. My wife might go crazy. She'd probably be okay. Um, But I would go crazy if I couldn't talk to my wife for a whole year while she is carrying my child that God has granted our, our family that we've been praying for. Elizabeth is awesome. And not only is she awesome because she's carrying this child that she can't speak to her husband, but her cousin Mary comes and visits her. And Elizabeth is so in the mindset of preparing the way that she receives Mary, and this is our text for today that we that we read before um, in Luke 1, 39 through forty five. I'm going to go backwards here uh, so that we can see. I'm going to begin in uh, excuse me verse forty two. In a loud voice, is it up there for you? Okay. Sorry. Yeah, okay. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, perfect, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of the Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped For joy, or leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill this promise to her. Now, I feel a little bit bad for Elizabeth because Mary gets a song in Luke and Zachariah actually gets a song in Luke later. But Elizabeth doesn't get a song, right? Right? But to me, this is the moment where she takes that big exhale and says, My entire life I've been preparing for a situation like this, whatever this is, to happen. And I'm saying this not only to you, Mary, not only am I saying, Blessed is she, Mary, who has believed that the Lord would fulfill her promises to her. She's saying that to herself as an exasperated, Blessed is me, who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to me. Elizabeth, the woman who has been preparing the way for Jesus, whatever that looks like her entire life, tirelessly praying and praying and praying that she could be used in some form or fashion to prepare the way for the Messiah. And it's happened again. Elizabeth is awesome. And she has just lived this life, and it seemed like things were not going to go her way, but she continued to live this life preparing the way for Jesus, and she was blessed by that. And so my question for you this morning is, or I guess for us to kind of think about, is how does Elizabeth prepare the way for Jesus? Okay, we talked about a little bit that John the Baptist is kind of regarded as the guy who prepared the way for Jesus, but how does Elizabeth, this woman, who is awesome before God, righteous before God, how does she prepare the way for Jesus? And I think there's two things that we can take away from this. The first thing, her entire life reflects the grace of God. Her entire life reflects the grace of God. We see this as she interacts with Mary, as she has this, I wanted to keep this up there, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. She has this word to Mary where I'm sure Mary's kind of thinking, this is going to be a crazy life for me. I need to go see my cousin. Elizabeth is able to be that word of peace to her, that word of reassurance to her, that that grace that God has given Elizabeth, she is giving out and doling out to Mary, that word of encouragement. She gives that to her son. We don't have any record of the parenting style of Zechariah and Elizabeth, but what we do know about John the Baptist is that he was kind of radical. And it would be be crazy for a parent to just be like, okay, go do that, son. Just think about it for a minute. If one of your kids decided, hey, I'm going to go out and live in the woods... I'm going to eat bugs, and I'm going to be somewhat of, a, of an outcast to society. Would you be okay with that? Be honest. Like, we're always wanting our kids to go to college, right? What if your kid's like, hey, I'm going to go live in the desert and eat bugs and stuff? Like, we, we t- sometimes take for granted, like, oh, this was a time before. No, you want the best for your kids, no matter what century you live in. And having a, having a kid like John the Baptist would have definitely stretched your, okay, God, I don't know what you're doing here. But it seems to me that John the Baptist grew up in a situation where Elizabeth is like, you are going to just do whatever God's going to lead you to do, and I'm going to empower you to do that. That's what moms do for their kids. That is what moms do for their kids. And I believe that's what Elizabeth did for John the Baptist. Her life reflects the grace of God. We have this kind of archetype throughout the scriptures about women who are childless, who eventually have children. And it's not like this random thing that happens. These women are selected, they're called out by God, and they are examples of what it means to be faithful to God. Their life is filled with grace. Her life reflects the grace of God. The second thing that we're taking away, how does Elizabeth prepare the way for God? She has the mindset of preparedness. Now, kind of point B to that. The mindset of preparedness. I don't want you to hear that and say, oh, like the old thing of like people say, are you prepared to meet your maker today? Where are you going to go if you died today? That's not what I'm talking about. First of all, I think that's bad theology. Because if that's all you're worried about, you're not worried about a relationship with Christ. It's not about where you end up, it's about where you go along the way. Are you living a life with a mindset of preparedness, of whatever God's calling me to do, I'm going to use these hands and these feet to do those things. If we're thinking about where we're going to end up, if we're thinking about, oh, i got to do X, Y, and Z to end up in heaven, that's not a good relationship. If I go to my wife and say, I got to do X, Y, and Z to make sure that you like me, that's not a relationship. I got to have the give and take, the back and forth. What can I do to, sh- to really lift you up and to show you that I love you? Not just do the things with my hands, but to show that relationship, that continual growth together. It's a mindset of saying, whatever comes my way, I am prepared to go through it and walk through it and figure it out. You with me a little bit? Okay. And this is where it gets difficult because we look at Elizabeth and we look at, you know, she's a righteous woman, she prays and eventually things happen okay for her. But what happens if you're a righteous person and you're praying and you're doing all the right things but the things don't work out the way they did for Elizabeth. What happens? Do you say, okay, like, I guess God's not here. I guess all that stuff I did was worthless. I actually think that whether or not Elizabeth has a child here doesn't change her mind about God. Whether or not God blesses them with a child, from what, we, what little we know about Elizabeth, I guarantee, as much as I can guarantee, that she is still going to live a, light, a righteous life before God because she recognizes the graces that have happened throughout her life in the valleys and in the mountaintop periods. You have perspective when you go through life. You have perspective when you go through time. And you say, that was one of the worst times in my life, but I learned X, Y, and Z. And that might not ever happen for you, but guess what? When you go through those valleys and people see how you respond to those, that's how you live a life that reflects the grace of God and that's how you have a mindset of preparedness where things are coming up in your life but you're choosing to say, I'm going to continue to lean on God. I don't know why right now. It doesn't make sense right now. People say I should turn away right now but I'm going to continue to have a mindset of being prepared. How is God going to use this situation in the future? And I say all of that and I and I have this, like, way I think about I like to poke holes in my own arguments a lot. Because I remember there was definitely valleys in my life where it's like, this is not going to work out. It is not going to be okay. It is, like, I am far from God, and God is far from me. But with time and with commitment, I, I remember um, Psalm 73 where... I'm just going to go there real quick. I didn't plan on this, but let's just go there real quick. Psalm 73. So the psalmist in Psalm 73 is talking about how there's so many bad things going on around him. Like bad people are getting rewarded in the world. Good things are happening to bad people. And the psalmist says this. In, in, uh, in, in verse 23. Yet, I am always with you. Despite all the stuff that's going on around me, despite everything bad, all the good stuff happening to bad people, all the things around me that seem to be not going the way that God wants them to go, that I think that God wants them to go. Verse 23. Yet, I am always with you. You hold my hand. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's what I'm talking about here. This whole idea of the the mindset of preparedness, you're going to fail a lot. I have failed a lot. Things are going to be terrible. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength of my heart and my portion forever. That is some truth. Those who are far from you will perish. You will destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. Whatever happens, I will follow. And and honestly, if I think about Elizabeth, you know, like I said, she gets what she prays for. Things work out for her. But... (laughs) When I look also in Luke, another woman that he highlights is the prophet Anna. In an alternate universe where things don't work out for Elizabeth, I bet you Elizabeth comes a, becomes a whole lot like the prophetess Anna. In verse 36 of chapter 2 of Luke. There was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Penuel, the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying coming up to them at the very moment she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child, all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This woman was saying, nothing's going right in my life. But I'm still going to pursue and have a mindset of being prepared for the Lord. And guess what? She got to live to see Jesus. That's pretty cool. What I'm trying, I'm saying a lot this morning, and it's It's about a mindset of being prepared for what comes your way. It's not always going to be good. It's not always going to be bad. But having the mindset of being prepared will allow you to come close to God even when you feel far away from him. And I got to bring up Habakkuk, okay? I always bring up Habakkuk, um, but not what I always say about Habakkuk. I can get to Habakkuk. In chapter 3. Okay, chapter 3, there we are. At the end of chapter 3, after all the things Habakkuk has seen and all the things that God and he have had this discourse, he ends with this kind of resignation in Habakkuk 3 17. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes in the vines, though the olive, fails and the fields produce no fruit though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls yet I will rejoice in the Lord I will be joyful in God my Savior the sovereign Lord is my strength he makes my feet like the feet of deer he enables me to tread on the heights even though there's nothing going for me my sovereign Lord is my strength That's the mindset we're talking about. Even though everything is going away, even though everything is crumbling around me, the Lord is still my strength. I will reflect the grace of God through my blessings and my curses. I will manifest His grace through my strength and my scars. And my mindset will be geared towards preparing the way for Christ. Whatever comes my way. This morning, I pray that if you are in a valley, you recognize that you're surrounded by people that have also been in valleys. You're surrounded by people who have gone through a similar valley. It's not gonna be the exact same, but thankfully, we can come together in love no matter what. I pray that you know you have a home here and you have a whole bunch of people who love you enough to care for you. If you have a need, whether it be spiritual, physical, if you want to be baptized, if you want to, you know, be mad, whatever it is, this is the time that we set aside to say, bring it forward and we'll be with you. Because we're all struggling along trying to have this mindset of preparedness. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time and I thank you for giving us the ability and the grace to come before you. God, help us to live a life that reflects your grace, and also to have a mindset of being prepared for whatever comes our way. God, help us to recognize that the grind is part of the journey. The grind is part of what makes us strong. But hold our hands along the way and help us to recognize that you are with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have any needs, please come while we stand and we